Well, happy anniversary, Springbrook. 19 years. 19 years of God's faithfulness. We read in Psalm 107. Psalm 107, verse 1. Do we have that? Oh, there it is. Okay. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And that's been our experience as a family. Over the last 19 years, we just want to thank him because he has been so good to us. So faithful. And his love is just so powerful. Why don't you stand up with me for a second here with a little celebrating. We're going to read this through once. Okay? Practice, all right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now we're going to read it again in more energy, even louder. Then after that, we're going to praise God, clapping, you know, just praising Him for all that He's done uh, for our ministry. Ready? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. All right. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for your provision. Thanks for your love. Thanks for guiding our church. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come humbly before your throne at this time. And for those of us who've been here all the 19 years, it is amazing. It's amazing to see your provision for our church. It's amazing how you've always kept our toolbox full of your tools to disciple others. Lord, you've shown us much grace. Lord, you've walked with us through difficult times. You are a faithful God. And we want to thank you so much that you've given us the responsibility, the privilege of sharing the gospel with others. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah. Hey, listen, you guys, you know, you've always been so good to Lori and I and the other pastors. In fact, last year we had a pastoral appreciation offering and they did projects at each of the pastors' houses. So yesterday they didn't mind. Here you see a bunch of guys. Uh, I had a forest in my uh, backyard. And uh, they took down, I think, three trees and uh, like from seven to one. And I tell you, that just shows so much love to us. And we want to thank you uh, for being involved in that. Well... We're going to talk about our mission here at Springbrook because it is our Vision Sunday. And you know what? It's the same vision that we started out with. <laughs> the mission doesn't change. Springbrook's mission 
They should build passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And where do we get that from? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what are we doing as an organization? Are we trying to make money? No. Well, what are you making then? We're making disciples. Disciples that will last for an eternity, the investment that we make in them. And we baptize them. That's why we baptize people for membership, because it's right here. It said, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. We're to teach each other, disciple each other. I'd like uh, Anita Kudrowski to come out at this time. And I want to give you a living illustration of how God has used Springbrook to disciple these different individuals. Anita? Hi. Well, I've been blessed over the years to see the kids that were once in my small group grow up and start using their gifts in this church for, for the Lord. Thank you. I have Emily here. When I first saw Emily, she was a baby. Her mother was caught carrying her through the service, and she was so sweet. And I said, she's going to be in my class someday. And she was. <laughs> and now look at her. She's in college. And she's uh, using her gifts back there in Kids' Kingdom. Yeah. We have Jesse. Jesse was in my class when he was like in kindergarten, first grade. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know what he is? He's teaching there back with me. It's so rewarding to see Someone that used to be in your group when he was five years old, teaching with you. Thank you, Jesse. And we have the Brants here. These guys here, you know what? I want to tell you. <laughs> they were in my class when they were four or five years old. And they didn't forget me. They keep coming back there and giving me hugs and telling me how much they care. And that means a lot. Thank you. We have Ariella. Ariella and her sister were in my class. And you were four years old, and then your sister was five. And, and you offered to uh, have me come to your, to your home and, and be in a, a, um, a princess party. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> and look at how she's grown. And she's a small group leader back there now using her gifts for the Lord. Thank you, Ariella. And here's the next generation. These are my small group kids. I've had these kids in my group since they were in kindergarten and first grade, and now they're in third and fourth. This guy's in fifth grade. He joined us today. And you know what? They're the next generation. They are going to be using their gifts, too. And I want to thank. I want to thank you, Dan. Pastor Dan, thank you for shepherding this church 
and allowing me to use my gifts for the Lord. It's all about him, right? It's all about God. It's all about the Lord. And each of you asking yourselves, how can I be available? How can I be used? Because you'll be blessed like I am. Anita has been serving in our kids' ministry since we began in 1996. Let's celebrate her ministry. I can remember back at Lake in the Hills, Anita always arrived early. She still does. And she's an awesome teacher and she has all kind of, you know, props and all kinds of things to engage the kids in the lesson. And she just has a tremendous compassion for children. So I would encourage you to take a look at our first serve pamphlet that you have in your bulletin and see where the Lord would want you to serve. Because we need everybody, right? We're all God's tools and we need everybody. And look at this. This is what we do at Springbrook. We love children, we introduce them to Christ, and we train them. And you also, if you know these kids, you've discipled them because you've been a model of what a Christian adult is. And it's fun to be in the disciple-making process. Let's thank these guys again. Okay. See you all back there. Just peek in anytime. <laughs> That was her idea. Wasn't that a great idea? Man, very, very powerful. Uh, As I think about this new season that we're heading into as a ministry, I have never been as excited about a new fall season than I have been this year, in recent years. I mean... This season, I am looking forward to in so many different ways. You might be saying, Dan, well, you know, two staff transitioned. Yeah, I know that. And you know, Dan, uh, a lot of people have moved away. People have left to go to other churches. I know that. And Dan, you know, I mean... When people leave, you lose leaders and volunteers and you have a lot of spots to fill and you lose uh, financial resources to get the job done. I know that. Our elders have talked often about what God is doing in our ministry. And we like to think of it as that God is testing us. Remember James 1 and 2? We read it in our series so often. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we talk so many times about the different tests that James 
said God brings into our lives in order to strengthen our faith. But you know what? God views our local body as a family. And we also mature as a family. We grow as a family. We learn things together as a family. And we go through tests like we do here. God is molding and shaping us. And yes, sometimes it can be painful. But in the end, he has a much greater purpose. So let's look at some of the challenges we're facing. Uh, Of course, uh, John Jackson, our worship leader for two years. He had come from a church in Detroit, Grace, 1,500 people, multi-ethnic, right in the middle of the city. And he was led to come here with his wife who grew up here. Laura, and then they called him and said, hey, we want you to come back and be the lead worship leader. And so he felt God was calling him back. Now, as I look at that, I say, well, that's normal. That happens in churches all the time. Staff come and staff go. And in fact, the average uh, span for a worship pastor is two years. So we're right on. <laughs> Jeff for two years, John for two years. Hopefully, we'll hit three years next time. As, and we're aggressively looking uh, for both worship and youth. So, John left. And then at the same time, Justin felt called to start a church. Now, it always hurts when staff leaves, but I wish they would, you know, separate a little more. <laughs> because it's hard on a church, isn't it? And you think of Justin and just how much we've watched him grow and his teaching ability and this uh, is love for people. And yeah, he was ready for senior leadership. In fact, most people, when I told them, said, yeah, we knew that was coming. <laughs> And it's usually what happens with youth pastors, right? They serve when they're younger, and then they grow into senior leaders. And this is the time for Justin. So I look at those two incidences, and I say, well, God, you're testing me. You can look at it in a couple of ways, right? You can say, okay, well, that person left, and that other staff person left. Uh, so this must be a satanic attack. No, 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 no. It's a test from God to show and grow our faith. They didn't leave because they didn't like our church. God called them someplace else. And now we have to work at restoring uh, staff positions in those ministries. So it's it's very important to realize in your life that sometimes you think there's a satanic attack. But maybe Satan is using those circumstances to discourage you. And just like I explained, I'm not discouraged by the fact that they were called on. It certainly isn't satanic warfare. It's just the way church goes. People transition. 
But, of course, it's a test of our faith because we have to step up. We have to fill empty spots and become engaged. Also, of course, uh, we've seen a lot of families move away. I've never seen so many families move out of state in the last two years. And, of course, we have families who have found other churches. And when I think about people who leave a church, there are all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons. Uh, Now, ideally, uh, you would like a person to stay committed to a church, the ups and the downs. And and but again, you know, we're all different places. Right. And what I've seen so many times is that, you know, if a person's at a church and they like it, not totally committed to it. And let's say they have one friend move and one friend leave. All of a sudden, the relational glue is gone. What I've seen is people follow their friends to another church because they were more committed to their friends. Now, again, I'm not saying anything wrong with that. It's a maturity issue, but it's something I see that happens often. Also, people leave when they're in personal pain. Some people just disappear, and we'll just you know, try to get a hold of them. Because we're always seeking to be more effective in disciple-making. So if a person leaves, we want to know, do we do something wrong? Uh, Do we not meet your need? That type of thing. So we contact them and, you know, maybe they say God called them or whatever. But then later I found out that, you know, tough time in their marriage uh, with children. And my heart goes out to them because it's so hard when we're hurting. And our natural instinct is to step back from people that we know so they don't know and go to another church where they can disappear. That happens a lot of time. Sometimes it's a doctrinal issue uh, where they just don't agree with our doctrine. And that's, that's a good reason to leave a church if you don't agree with the doctrinal statement of a church. And sometimes people say, I just feel the call of God. God has released me from Springbrook, and he wants me uh, to step into a new season. I can't argue with that, <laughs> right? If God told you, that's great. And, uh, yeah, those are just some insights on, on why people leave. And obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's area for concern in terms of the number of people that have left. But again, as we look at it, we look at it as a test, a test of who we really are at Springbrook and what we're really trying to do. So when you lose people moving or choosing other churches, uh, you lose leaders and volunteers and financial resources. And that's why the reasons were encouraging to find out where you fit in the family toolbox, what your shape is, how God wants to use you, because we have some open spots that you can fully involve yourself and enjoy 
to get the disciple-making process done. We look at financial resources. It's been a challenge for us the last several years, and the elders and the finance team have been tracking that very closely. And, of course, with people leaving, uh, you don't have the same amount of resources. So we've been talking about it, and uh, we do have a large cash reserve, but we want to be really wise in the way that we move forward because we don't know what the next several years uh, will happen. So I just want to be conservative in that way. So we talked about uh, refinancing the mortgage and saving some money in that way. We talked about in hiring staff uh, just to be more specific uh, and try to reduce those expenses to a degree. I want to thank you guys. You are an incredibly generous conversation, uh, excuse me, congregation. When I compare our giving to other churches, I mean, you guys blow it out of the water. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for that. and I want to thank you for how you stepped up for Heart Strong and Disciple Driven. Just again, sacrificing to keep this disciple-making family going. So May 1st, uh, our Disciple-Driven initiative uh, will end, and we're not going to do another one. (laughs) We're just going to ask you to pray and think about how you would give uh, to this church. And again, God will tell you. I mean, I typically, you know, when I give more money to uh, a campaign, I just keep my giving at that same level. So hopefully, uh, some of you will be like that. Saying, well, I can do that. Some of you might not be able to. But that's all between you and God. So we're really stepping out in faith in these areas. So that's, friends, why I can say that I'm so excited about this year. Because I know that God is going to take us through a test. And sometimes when a test comes in our lives, we run from it, right? And sometimes people who are going, or a part of a church that's going through a test, they run from it, right? Well, maturity comes when you stick with it, when you make a commitment to the family and say, hey, I'm here. I, I, I love Phil Gannison. I was talking to him and he said, listen, my casket's going to be in this church. <laughs> Don't you love that type of commitment? Oh, my, my precious soul. As I've been thinking, talking with elders, I really believe that part of this test is that God is redesigning our mission statements. A new chapter as a church. You know, churches have a life cycle, kind of like a bell curve, up and down. So when you're going down, you always have to kind of redirect in order to start a new cycle, one might say. And... God has used disciple-driven tremendously in influencing me and others. And 
We want to be a disciple-making church. 2 Timothy 2.2 And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Paul says uh, to Timothy, young pastor, entrust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When you become a Christ follower, not only you get all the bennies of walking with God and having eternity, but you become a disciple maker. The whole idea is not for you to kind of just read the Bible, take all this stuff in. Oh, I love my life. <laughs> no. It's to pass it on to other people, to teach other people, like in our kids' city and small groups and things like that. That's what our goal is, is to pass it on. In fact, uh, my vision and the elders' vision for our church can be seen here. We want to cultivate a culture of disciple-making. A culture of disciple-making. Now, every church is involved in disciple-making, obviously, because that's the goal. But we really want to go deeper. When, when people hear the name Springbrook in five years, they say, oh, that's, that, that's the disciple-making church. That's where people go when they seriously want to know God and walk with Him and be in community with other people. Lots of kinds of disciple, church-wide disciple-making. I'm doing that right now. And through our worship and baptisms. And informally, we disciple each other as we watch each other go through circumstances and we encourage and challenge one another. Large group discipling, uh, like our women's event that we had this past summer, the Beth Moore study. I think we had 60 women come out to that. Isn't that awesome? Man. Of course, we have our men's breakfast and men's retreat, which which does a great job of leading. So that's kind of a large group disciple-making. And then small group disciple-making, we're very familiar with here, right? We always encourage people to be in small groups. Now, it's interesting when people move away or might leave our church, uh, you know, they'll talk to Rich or somebody else, and they say, yeah, it's okay, but they don't have small groups, Where are the small groups? Friends, we have one of the strongest small group systems in the area, hands down, under the leadership of Pastor Rich. And friends, that's where life is upon life. That's where iron sharpens iron. That's where you develop friendships. That's where you develop a friendship where you step out of the group and you get together for coffee. And it becomes a disciple-making relationship. Mutual disciple-making. And then we've been looking and working on a long-sider disciple-making. So if you have a small group of maybe, I don't know, eight people, eight to twelve, there are certain things that people are not going to share in that context. So we want to make disciple-making the culture of our church. And the way we're doing that is that we have hired a consultant from Navigators, the grandfather of discipleship materials, and, and he's helping us to develop even a deeper culture of discipleship. So 
Rich and I and, and Justin and John, uh, way back last year, went through it together. It's, it's called the Alongsider Training. It's a little softer word than discipleship. You just come alongside someone and you, you discover God's Word, some type of curriculum, and you discuss it and you make it alive so the Holy Spirit can touch your heart and soul. And then it's all about relationships, right? You make a special relationship there. And sometimes in those groups, people will open up when the trust is built about issues in their life that they've never talked to anybody about. They don't have to, but sometimes that happens. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And when you start having Christian dialogue with other men or, or other women, that's when great things happen. And There's all different types of churches. And I'm so appreciative of Willow and Fox Valley and the Journey and the Rock Church uh, in this area. And uh, they're all great churches, and they all have kind of distinctives about them. But I find as a church gets larger, it's harder to disciple people. Because you're just trying to manage people and herd people here and there. But we are still the size. We're, we're a high-touch church, okay? You can know me. You can talk to me. I'm just standing out there. <laughs> Please talk to me. Um, <laughs> but, hey, I'm here. You know, it's not a satellite. It's a real person, a real imperfect person. But I love each of you, and I want to help you in any way that I can. And I want to lead this church uh, with integrity. And so, again, what, again, my dream, the elders' dream, hopefully your dream is, is that when people attend Springbrook, they will be at least asked to be part of a disciple-making relationship. I just, I've just seen so many people become Christ followers who have not been discipled. How many of you... Right after you become a Christ follower, somebody discipled you. They trained you. They encouraged you. Raise your hand high. Now look around the room. It's pretty sad, isn't it? I mean, look how you get ready for a career, right? You get the education. You spend a lot of money. You become a Christ follower, the most important thing in your life. will look at you and say, well, congratulations. Have fun. Right? We're taking these little infants and just toss them away. That's what I love about it, what Aldici does. On Sunday mornings, we have a Christianity 101 class. And from 10 to 11, when anybody comes to know Jesus, we can say, come next Sunday. Because it gets them in the habit of going to church, right? And, and I mean, it's the perfect way to get a person into discipleship right away. Right? And I've seen so many people become Christ followers and then they just kind of stagnate for years and years and years. And it isn't the way it should be. That's not the way the church should work. So we have a leadership team right now that is uh, looking at what does a Springbrook disciple look like? 
I mean, when someone comes in the door, what would we like to see happen in their life over the next five years? So they're working on that monthly. Uh, we're also determining a pathway. What's the best way to design our ministries so these people will become disciples, that so we can train them properly, care for them properly? Well, the second thing, that's a new chapter in our church, is that God is renewing me. Pastor Dan, not you. <laughs> I hope he's renewing you as well. <laughs> I tell you, the last couple of years, you know, I've been doing a deep work in my life. I've been in ministry 25 years. It's hard to believe I'm only 40. I was a child prodigy, you know, started the church at 15. I've been in ministry a long time. I've heard it all. I've taught it all. <laughs> but man, God is working within me. And He's showing me blind spots in my life. He shows that I have an orientation uh, to fear. And therefore, I try to control things. And that's not a healthy way to live or lead a church. Which is a pride. And, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard when God goes to work on molding and shaping you. But it's so much worth it. I'm so thankful for the work that God has done in my life and will continue to do. And my prayer is that I would grow in order that I might lead you in a way that glorifies a God. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That is my prayer. And finally, God is faithful. God is faithful. Oh, I could tell you a lot of stories. I'll just tell you a couple. Uh, we had no place to meet when we started this church. No place to meet at all. I was kind of getting to be desperate. And finally, Lake and Hills Elementary School opened their doors. And that was so cool. <laughs> but, of course, uh, we moved into Jacobs. And we were given by a couple in the church who sold their business $325,000. They tithed off it. So that got the impetus going for finding land. But that took a long time. In fact, we had a contract on Square Barn Road. And I was about to sign it on behalf of the overseer, overseers at that time. And uh, I just happened to go to a community event. And Tom Hallow was there. And I heard that Tom Hallow had said no. So I just went up to Tom, of course, Tom's market. And I said, Tom, do you know of anyone who might be interested in selling some land? He said, I do. I do. I'll sell you some land. <laughs> what a day that was. And I can recount so many days when God has done incredible things in our lives. But you know what? I don't even have to go that far. I just have to go over to this baptistry, right? Right? Yeah. 
how God transforms a life and how a person can testify to the power of God and how their life is anew. Now that is God's faithfulness. That is God's goodness. And I tell you what, this church has touched thousands of people over these 19 years. Thousands of people. I don't know how many have become Christ followers. Maybe around a thousand. I'm not sure. But, <laughs> you know, we got to keep everything in perspective. God has been so good to us in so many ways. We're going into a new chapter. We'll be talking more about this. But we want to be a church of prayer. A church of prayer. We've been working on that. But you see, when you really want to change the culture of the church, when you really want something to sink into the soul of your congregation, you have to talk about it again and again and cast the vision again and again. And you have to really work hard. And we are far from done with prayer. All right? The foundation. A church of commitment. I would just pray that as the Lord leads you, that this week as you reflect on this message, that you would say, you know what? God has put me in Springbrook's toolbox, and I haven't become totally committed yet. Well, I would encourage you to become committed, as this is one fantastic family. This is a great place to be. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're just trying to get along with God's power. And then a church of patience. Well, when you have a disciple-making model uh, to build a church, it's not like 200 people are going to show up next week. Okay. Now, hopefully, we'll continue to see people come and disciple them, but uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Because first of all, God has to change us and transform us. Well, again, friends, uh, we're looking forward to next week when we have our uh, Soul Detox series starting. And this is an invitation, especially to people who don't know Jesus. So how many have invited a person to our series this past week? Okay. See a couple hands. How many have mailed out postcards uh, to their neighbors? All right. Friends, if we're going to be a disciple-making church, we've got to reach out to people. We've got to put the effort into it. Because if we don't have anybody to disciple, that's a problem, right? We need to continue to spread the good news and tell them what God has done for them, but it starts with each of you thinking and praying. I know so many of you have just asked your neighbors a thousand times. Keep on asking, you know. Keep on being a light. But if you haven't been engaged, the easiest thing to do, I guess, would be go into a uh, restaurant, bathroom, and just leave it there. 
<laughs> the Holy Spirit can use that, right? I mean, take some kind of step. We are the responsible ones to bring people to Jesus. And everybody does it in a different style. We need to be committed to it. All right. We could have our uh, uh, prayer team come up. Uh, They would love to pray with you this morning. We've got a great picnic coming up in a half hour. I hope you can stay. Even if you didn't bring it, come on along. We're going to have a great time together. This is really a fun day. God is good. Let us pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for each individual here. I want to thank you that you brought them to Springbrook. Maybe they're a visitor. Maybe they've been here since 1996. Lord, I am just so grateful. I'm so thankful to be in the role as a pastor. And every one of us be in the role of a disciple maker. Where we can work on the most important thing. A hundred million years from now, we will not be talking about our jobs. We'll be talking about what we did on, did down there on earth. To be a tool of God. In Christ's name. Amen.